0: Thank you for those readings. Obviously, this is in the series. It it changed my life, and God's word certainly changed my life. It taught me true wisdom. From an early age, I saw Christianity as great foolishness. For me, it was a laughable proposition, gross stupidity. But over three decades, I was to learn that wisdom isn't reflective of how much knowledge you have, how clever you are or perhaps how clever you think you are if not from where is it derived before I talk a bit more about that let me pray our Father in heaven would you challenge us to reflect on what the Bible means by true wisdom and shield us and those we know and love from the foolishness that has eternal consequences would you help us to center our lives on the truth of the word of the cross. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, the outline is sparse, but it's spread out a bit more than it looks on the outline. That's my fault, not anyone else's fault. Uh, we've had two readings today, and I'll mention a third a little bit later on. All have significant, uh, have significant things to say about my life um, and my life of foolishness. Let's look at life of foolishness first. But as I do that, there'll be a few photos flashed up a little bit of me and Carmen in some of them, they may be out of order if they are. It is totally my fault. But you get the gist. I don't look quite like I do now. Most people are surprised when they actually learn from me, and many don't, that I I came from a fairly poor, dysfunctional family. I was a Newcastle boy. If I was from Newcastle, what might I have been? I was the son of a coal miner. Who was the son of a coal miner? Who was the son of a coal miner? Scottish coal miners. My dad came here in about 1912. I lived in relative poverty uh, and wasn't necessarily always well looked after. In fact, I was on a social welfare watch list for a time. I'm not sure quite how long in my primary years. My parents were both alcoholics for most of my early life. They were gifted singers and musicians. My mum, in particular, was incredibly intelligent. But they spent most of their weekends in clubs entertaining, and my sister and I, my sister, four years older than me, uh, were pretty much left to her own devices. She turned out all right, okay, but she's not a Christian. The only bright lights in my family were my grandparents on my mother's side, who were Christians, Methodists, and later Brethren. And their home I escaped to with my sister for about, well, you could guess, about 12 weeks, 10 to 12 weeks of the year. And my parents were glad for us to go, and we had a wonderful time with them. My grandfather was a brilliant man, a skilled businessman, uh, an inventor, and a philosopher in his spare time. They gave my sister and I security for those 10 to 12 weeks of the year, and a home unlike the one we had for the rest of the year. I was a difficult child at school. That would shock you, I'm sure. But I survived it, and I ended up doing okay. But in the midst of schooling, home was always a challenge. My dad lost his job. At work, uh, because he was drunk and turned up one day for his job, which was to drive the men up and down the pit and to take the coal out. And he lost his job for 12 months. That was when I was in year seven. My mother was usually passed out on a bed when I arrived home each day due to alcohol abuse. And I didn't get to speak speak to her much until very late in the evening, often when she'd emerge. My dad was a functional alcoholic uh, uh, from the day he was sacked, pretty much. It shook his life up. Uh, he then gave it up for good. When my sister left uh, to be married when I was about 15, and one of those pictures of me with slot cars is about the age of 15, I was left alone to care for my mother and struggled to keep her away from drink and try to get her to go to doctors and try to get help, which there was none in those days, no AA active in those days. Finally, I was to find her dead aged 48 when I was aged 19. Four months later, I married Karma who I'd been going out with for just over a year and she was God's precious gift to me, believe me. And most of you wouldn't be surprised. We set up our home and after five years started our family and from the start this was going to be a different sort of family to certainly from my family experience, Carmen's was a bit better. Neither Carmen nor I were Christians and it took some time for God to break into our lives. For in spite of my love of my grandfather and my grandmother and the influence of a good wife who did have a little bit of interest in God and was always a good person, I was not attracted to God in the least. In fact, I was an atheist for most of those first 31 years before I became a Christian. As a teenager, I enjoyed mocking the few Christians I had around me at school. One of them was a a girl called Gail, uh, with whom I shared a science class. And one day she suggested, just after a, a teacher was finished talking, that. Uh, This talk on ageing just missed a few significant bits from the Bible. For example, Methuselah who lived to 969 and Noah to 950 and Adam to 930. Well, I nearly fell off the stool uh, with my laughter and my ridicule of her. And she shut up, of course. Uh, Later on, years later, I apologised to her. In my wisdom, I was convinced of the foolishness of this God stuff and those who believed in him. And in my arrogance and ignorance... I was just aware just how ignorant i was it was to be many years before i was confronted by the revealed wisdom of the bible unlike timothy who had uh, i had not heard the scriptures from infancy i had not heard that the holy scriptures were able to make you wise for salvation through faith in christ jesus which we'd read in 2 timothy 3 verse 15. i had not listened to my grandfather repeating the wisdom of proverbs which he did constantly I heard it, but I didn't necessarily listen, when he'd say, um, wisdom is of great value. Much better to get wisdom than gold, which I can recall in in the past, but I took no notice at the time. The Bible was in my grasp. It was actually written on the walls of my grandparents' house, including in the room that I actually uh, slept in. I was in its presence regularly. I heard, but I didn't listen. They were just silly words to me. I loved my grandparents, but I had absolutely no interest in their God. It was to be many years before I realised that it wasn't Gail and my grandparents who were foolish in applying the Bible to the questions of life. It was true wisdom, not foolishness. I was the foolish one. Our first reading, 1 Corinthians 1, 18-30, one teaches us a number of these things, and I'm moving through these things fairly carefully, fairly quickly, as well as carefully. For the message of the cross is foolishness to those who are perishing, but to to, to us... That are being saved, it is the power of God. For it is written, I will destroy the wisdom of the wise, the intelligent of the intelligent I will frustrate. And the ESV puts it a slightly different way I will destroy the wisdom of the wise, the discernment of the discerning. The God and the Saviour who I had seen as foolish for 31 years of my life was very much at work in my life, even though I didn't know it. And, but instead, I, I craved the company of those fool who, fools who were like me, they were perishing. What was the great wisdom I was missing? The son of God hanging on a tree, taking the punishment for the sins of my life and the life of others. A profound wisdom which I saw as nonsense. The son of God died that I might live. The one who was hung on that tree did so to atone, pay the price for the sins of fools just like me. I had an open invitation to accept his free gift of salvation, but I mocked it. And those who follow Jesus, except my grandparents, I had nothing to mock them about, and I certainly didn't. I saw them as wise. Corinthians says to us, verses 20 to 25, Where is the wise person? Where is the teacher of the law? Where is the philosopher of this age? Has not God made foolish the wisdom of the world? For since in the wisdom of God, the world through its wisdom, my wisdom, did not know him, God was pleased through the foolishness of what was preached to save those who believe. Jews demand signs, and Greeks look for wisdom, as they did. But we preach Christ crucified, a stumbling block to Jews and foolishness to Gentiles, but to those whom God has called and he had not called me yet, both Jews and Greeks, Christ the power of God and the wisdom of God. For the foolishness of God is wiser than human wisdom, and the weakness of God is stronger than human strength. The Jews demanded signs from God, but even when they witnessed some of the, the most remarkable of miracles, they rebelled and rejected him. Nothing would convince them. Are some of the people we know any different? Even in our age, people say, I need proof. I can recall Carmen, she doesn't mind me sharing the story, as we were raising our children, I remember it very well, on more than one occasion, I think. She said, I wish I had proof about God. If only they could prove that the Shroud of Turin was real, perhaps I could believe. The Greeks looked for wisdom using their own intellect and spent large slices of their lives looking for wisdom in philosophy and, and learning and mathematics and astronomy and so on. The gospel of Christ was seen as foolishness to Jews and Greeks and a great stumbling block, which we read in verse 22. But to those whom God has called both Jews and Greeks, Christ the power of God and the wisdom of God. For the foolishness of God is wiser than human wisdom, and the weakness of God is stronger than human strength. Carmen was very much a seeker in her, our early married years. Her interest was no doubt fuelled by the prayers of many. But one school friend, Catherine, uh, was used by God in incredible ways. And I want to mention her specifically, more for our application than anything. Uh, she studied with us when we were becoming teachers, and she became Carmen's, my friend as well as Carmen's, because they'd been friends from high school. She suggested that two friends from high school, both non-Christians, go into a flat with her, and they did. I got to know them. The other boyfriend got to know them as well. She was to remain our friend as a single woman and would pray for us, visit us, and continue to be our friends for years, and still is, although she's married now at an older age. Both Carmen, Sue, and their husbands, and our children would all over time become Christians, and their grand- and our grandchildren The grandchildren are very much on the way there as well. Karma was demanding a sign. I wanted some sound arguments. I fell about in laughter at the attempts of some to prove there was a God who sent a savior. I didn't need this nonsense. I was so clever. I'd almost finished my PhD. In a short time, I'd be wearing a floppy hat at graduation. If you wanna know what happened the first time I wore the floppy hat, ask me afterwards, it's quite a story. At this time, for Carmen and I, Christ crucified was still a great stumbling block, verse 22. We had different reasons, but we were not ready to accept our Savior. The Jews and the Greeks in in Corinth had problems with the idea of a Savior who wasn't an all-conquering leader. The promised Messiah couldn't possibly be such a weak man. Paul, in in his letter, was addressing those who followed him in Corinth, actually, but many still had pride in their own wisdom and simply couldn't grasp nor accept this teaching. Paul addressed the followers of Christ in this way in the later verses, that chapter one, verse 26 and following. Not many of you were wise by human standards, not many many were influential, not many were of noble birth, but God chose the foolish things of the world to shame the wise. God chose the weak things of the world to shame the strong. Now here we see that God saves not the wise, not not the wise and the clever. And Corinth, the seat of great wisdom, as they thought, with every philosophy on display, he chose what is what was seen by them as foolish by the world pretty much, foolishness to shame the wise, what was weak to shame the strong, the low and the despised to bring to nothing things that are. But there's a missing bit in my testimony in particular. How did God get my attention? How did one who mocked Christians and dismissed it actually become a follower of Christ? That's my third point. In my comfortable life, I saw no need for God. I was living the dream. A happy marriage. You've seen the photos. A really good-looking guy. Uh, The home overlooking Lake Macquarie. Two beautiful daughters, one of whom is here today, down here for other reasons, but she's along this morning. Uh, uh, And two beautiful daughters who we loved, my first university teaching role was tenured. The academics then in will realise a tenured group. I was living the life, really. Uh, what more could I want? I had no need of God, and no fear of one I didn't believe existed. How would God get, to me, get me to take notice? An arrogant, self-sufficient young man, I'm not suggesting I haven't got some of those things still in me, with the world at his feet, to quote that bad saying. The second reading today, from Proverbs 9 verses 1 to 12 are helpful in in explaining some of this. Although I'll have to do it briefly. I'd grown up with no fear of God. I did did fear the strap of my father and I did did fear the cane which I received 36 times in grades 3 and 4 alone. But I didn't fear God. There were times in my adult years when I was filled with fear of natural events like a dreadful storm that hit our beautiful brand new two storey house uh, overlooking Lake Macquarie, with our one child at the time asleep in her cot, only a few months old. I was terrified of that storm and I lay on the floor sleeping while the storm shook the house and I thought it was going to pull it apart. On that night as I lay on that floor next to the cot, I, I knowing that I wasn't in control of my life, there was fear. But did I think of God? Not at all. It was a big and significant storm. But it had no impact on making me think of God. But I'll tell you about a storm in a little while, which did. The whole of Proverbs uh, nine, verse verse 9 I'm sorry. Whole of Proverbs nine verses one to eight. In is of help to us. Uh, but we only have time to look closely at a few verses. The most famous, we all know, Proverbs nine ten. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom, and the knowledge of the Holy One is understanding. In this short chapter of Proverbs, the author offers the reader a choice between two different invitations, two different women, as they're portrayed, to two different lives. Each woman represents, is represented as sitting in a dwelling on a high hill, that's a normal side of the temple, as, as it is in Corinth, there's one there still, calling out to them. Wisdom, is one, as one is referred to in verses 1 to 6, builds a house, a, a well-made house, and calls people in. It's certainly not a shack like Follies turns out to be, which we'll get to next, and Wisdom had taken care and prepared a delicious and nourishing meal, no takeout from uh, another restaurant. The people who responded to this call are those who do not yet have Wisdom but are willing to acquire it, to come and feast and learn, to walk in the way of understanding. Some, though, when you look at it, you think, well, this is just simple, this is simple logic. Some, Some commentators refer to them as simpletons not the wise at all, they were seeking to be the wise. Those dwelling in this stable house seek wisdom through learning, seeking new ideas and new knowledge, and I think I was pretty much one of those simpletons. Folly, uh, which you get the detail on verses 13 to 18, but which is summarized in the passage we heard, the other woman is sitting in the door of a house too, a bit reminiscent of how a prostitute would sit in the door. She calls out to those who pass by, after having not made much preparation uh, to to those who would otherwise go straight on their way in her undisciplined uh, ways, she offers nothing new. Don't complicate my life by worrying too much about anything. Just come and have a good time with me. Live your life. Or as one of my friends of almost 50 years continues to say to me after yet another overseas trip, Trev, life's not a rehearsal. Don't worry about the cares of the world. Just have fun. Two views of the world, neither leading you to God. The high point, of course, uh, is in Proverbs 10 to 12. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom and the knowledge of the Holy One is understanding. For through wisdom, your days will be many and years will be added to your life. If you're wise, your wisdom will reward you. If you're a mocker, you alone will suffer. This definition of the beginning of wisdom requires devotion to God in thought and in life. But if we are to have wisdom, the wisdom of verses 10 to 12, how does this begin? From where does the fear of the Lord come in the lives of many? I'm not sure for you, and maybe if you grow into being a Christian through your lives, you're not conscious of that. But in my life as someone who'd been an atheist for 31 years, it was going to take some fear of the Lord to get me to take notice. And I'll just share in a moment just how that happened. It would seem that it, it can occur in the midst of your learning and knowing uh, that there is much you can't explain, or in the middle of the life of folly. A God, uh, in the midst, midst of the life of folly, when you're just having fun, a God or Jesus can confront you. Perhaps you experience a, a crisis in your life uh, that speaks to the simpleton in you, like me, and shakes you from your comfortable self-sufficiency. Perhaps the high life loses its glamour. Maybe your sin leads to a deep crisis in your life, or perhaps God reminds you of your frailty. For me, God had first to gain my attention. This easily distracted, young, ambitious man needed to be stopped in his tracks. In 1 Corinthians 1.18-21, we see, for the message of the cross is foolishness to those who are perishing, but to us who are being saved, it is the power of God. How was God to shake me from my foolishness? For this stubborn atheist, it was going to require direct intervention of our God to shake my arrogant self-sufficiency. And I take, I'll pick you up and tell you the story in a moment at this point. The foolishness of cross, as I, I'd seen it, how is God going to actually show me that perhaps it was not as foolish as I thought? Well, at the age of 30, just about a year before I became a Christian, I was to have my moment when the the fear of the Lord collided with a life that treated the cross as mere foolishness. God spoke to me through a zucchini patch. Now, don't go out, rush out and grow zucchini patches uh, for their special divine qualities, but it was a zucchini patch that God used. Why wouldn't he use something trivial with someone as arrogant as I was? It was just after we'd moved our family from Lake Macquarie, with our two daughters at the stage, including Louise, who was the younger, aged just four and seven, uh, to Charles Sturt University in Bathurst. The locals were very hospitable, as, a, as they are in country institutions. Everyone wants to be a friend. And a few of the more interesting people I met on the administration of the faculty invited Carmen and I to a barbecue one Sunday afternoon on their property just out of town near the river. There's plenty of wine, food, for about 25 adults. I think we'd all left our kids at home. But there were some kids next door. A wisdom gathering, I would like to think of it as now. I was gathering, gathered with those of wisdom. A good disguise for a group of simpletons, really, developing new connections and sharing their wisdom and knowledge with each other. It was pleasant. They were nice enough. But as the day wore on, the laughs were a bit louder and the company very, very merry. The music was playing and at about three o'clock, the host got out a tape of some Christian songs and hymns old cassette days. He joked, one of my mum's old tapes. He put it on, and after the first song, began, he began to mock the words and the music. I recall this vividly at a distance of many, many years, uh, that this made me feel very, very uncomfortable. A little later, the proud host took me for a stroll with a few others to look at his incredible zucchini patch that covered an acre or so of his land like the occasional country academic or administrator in universities, this is in Bathurst, uh, on the side he did a bit of farming, probably some tax concessions there I think, and his crop was ready to be harvested. And I have to say it was magnificent, magnificent vines and all this ripe fruit. We went back into side of the party and about 20 minutes later a couple of us who were sitting outside noticed some storm clouds moving towards Bathurst and seemingly coming our way. Another ten minutes later, the first crack of lightning and thunder was heard. Another ten minutes later, the rain began to pour. Torrential rain, thundering down. And within minutes, it started to hail. Golf ball-sized hail. The hailstones knocked things off the barbecue tables. We rushed inside. I think he got the cassette tape recorder. Uh, Closed the doors tightly. The house stands began to hit the house, the roof, the walls, then the windows. We retreated as far as we could away from the, the, the glass to the, to the walls, and it continued. We could hear the screams of the neighbors' kids who were in the next little old farmhouse uh, screaming, and we could hear the windows of their house breaking at first. Uh, it was terrifying, and it lasted a very short time. After it was over, uh, some of us went very, a few went very quickly, check on the kids next door and they're okay, and all of us went down to look at our cars, as you would. They were all totally destroyed. Mine, which I was very proud of, I found just one tiny panel on it that didn't have marks on it. It was totally written off. Then our host decided he'd look at the zucchini patch, and a few of us followed him, including me. It was absolutely gone. I kid you not, I can remember that image to this day. I thought, but there's nothing there. We did notice a few little crunched bits of the leaves in the gutters which had been washing away, but all that was left of those vines were a little tiny stump sticking out of the ground where once there was a vine. It was quite extraordinary. Later we were to discover, as we left the house, that the trees stripped of their leaves, and they really were brutally stripped of their leaves, were in a radius of 500 meters of that farm. And on Monday at university, I began to talk to people about the storm, the incredible storm. No one else in that small town seemed to know about the storm. Now, I'm not suggesting that maybe someone didn't, but I couldn't find anyone that knew much about the storm. In fact, one of my colleagues said, what, what storm? Nothing going on yesterday. The insight. As I reflected back over this story many times, I believe that it was the first time that I'd actually considered seriously that the God of gale at school, Catherine at college, and other Christians that bobbed up in my life might just be right. God might just be real. One special person I much, must mention, because we began to have a lot of people come into our lives, was a person called Edith Childs, a widowed woman who arrived at my school. I was teaching a one-teacher school, um, and, and she arrived one day in 1977, this is before I'd become a Christian, well before, and asked could she come each week to teach scripture. I said, sure, yeah, how many hours would you like? I was teaching one teacher school with 31 kids. Uh, And uh, as she left, she was standing on the bottom step, and I can still have this image in her mind standing there now, and she said to me as she was going out, she must have enjoyed our conversation, she said, are you a Christian? And I said within a fraction of a second, yes. But I was haunted for some time by that because I knew I wasn't a Christian. I definitely hadn't become a Christian. She also ended up babysitting our daughter um, when Carmen went back to school and our first child came along. And she became a very important part of our family. She invited us around for meals, we invited her back, and she remained in touch years after we moved on. And it was seven years later from when we first got to know each other. And she'd moved to to Adelaide and she'd been there for four years, so there'd been very little contact except letters and phone calls. Uh, And it, it was... There there had been multiple intrusions of Christians into Carmen's life in that period, and indirectly into mine. But there were more to come for both of us. So by the time we reached Bathurst, God had placed a number of Christians in our paths. When we reached Bathurst, the Christians began to close in on our family. It was all the Bathurst Baptists. Uh, There was this conspiracy going on. A a school mum, uh, whose name was Agnes, just sidled up next to Carmen at the bus stop as our kids were going off to school together, and talk to her and ask her about her life. Um, and Agnes was to play an important part in where we ended up. Uh, and uh, this, this non-Christian friend asked Carmen to come to the Baptist, uh, sorry, the next door neighbor who was not a Christian asked Carmen to come to the Baptist play group down the road because she said it was a great play group. And so Carmen started taking uh, the kids, two by that stage, I think one was almost ready for school. Uh, Agnes then, the same woman, gave her a copy of John's Gospel, which she said, why don't you read it? Because they'd talked enough about what she did and uh, the fact that she was a Christian. And then Carmen, um, and and at first Carmen thought that would be a problem for me, and I I didn't particularly care, or maybe even didn't notice much. Some weeks later um, uh, Carmen was invited to attend an open day, sorry, we were invited to attend an open day for kids, because we'd been suggested by Agnes that we send our kids to Sunday school to Carmen, and we did. Then there was an open day within weeks, it seemed, and we went to the open day. And because I love my kids and Carmen wanted to go, I said, Yeah, I'll come along. We were the only people there. Whether it was a real open day, I'm not, I don't know. Um, <laughs> but we were there a short time, and the pastor, was a wonderful, affable guy, immediately came out to talk. Hi, oh, fine. And hey, what are you doing here? Um, and, the, and I liked this guy from the moment he opened his mouth. That was the beginning of a wonderful friendship. A short time later, um, uh, Agnes at the bus stop invited Carmen again to a cantata, which the church was putting on. Uh, would she like to come? You know, just by singing some songs, and I'm in it, et cetera, et cetera, Well, Carmen wanted to. She came to me very, very nervously. and She said, you won't like this, but I'd like to go to the Baptist church on Sunday. What was my response? I replied in a flash, what makes you think I wouldn't want to go to church? And I thought, I think today, with a distance of many years, how brilliant is God? He took my pride, my arrogance, and he used it to get me to church. So be careful. After that, uh, Agnes dropped the copy of the Bible around for Carmen. She needed more than just John's Gospel. Read, start reading the whole thing. The following week, we returned to church. Remarkably, I went too. And Pastor Bob preached a message of which I have very little memory now, but for the well-known verses of Matthew eleven twenty-five to 30, which um, were very significant. The words of verses 28 to 30 cut right to my heart. Come to me, all you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easier and my burden is light." Now those verses have been used in the conversion of many people, but I wouldn't have known that. I knew they spoke to me. These words were written for me, but what did it all mean? Uh, what was my burden? My sense of unworthiness in the sight of God, who in spite of the life I'd lived, the many mistakes I'd made in my selfish existence, my desire for something better in life for me and my family was there, I'm not sure what was going on in here, but I know that it was the Spirit of God working in my life and calling one of the lost. I went home after that service. It was a very quiet uh, trip. I said very little. I went inside. I went to the bathroom, and I dropped to my knees in an emotional mess, overwhelmed by an enormous sense of my sin and unworthiness. I called out to God, uh, who knew me, but I didn't know him, but who I had been ignoring as foolishness, all of my life. The tears rolled and this blubbering mess cried out, Lord, teach me and show me who Jesus really is. I found rest for my soul that day. He just transformed my life. And I can testify that the load has indeed been light. I devoured his word in the, in the months that followed as, he continued, as God continued to reconstruct me. He used a storm to get my attention. He honored the prayers of faithful people and use the faithfulness, the faithfulness of many Christians who did little more than share their lives with me and pray for us. When I came out, Karma thought I must have been having some sort of a nervous breakdown, a term we used to like to use in those days. I called the pastor uh, through the week and I said, Bob, would you come and visit us? He then gave us a quick overview of the Bible as we sat in the lounge room and urged us both to read it I devoured it from the start. At that point I knew I had become a Christian. Carmen wasn't so sure, uh, which has been a sore point with her, but really she got me to go to church and um <laughs> Carmen continued to read John's Gospel and she committed her life to Christ two weeks after I did. My daughter likes to tell me one I almost thought she actually became a Christian at kindergarten with a Christian from the Baptist Church who encouraged them to, to ask Jesus into her heart, which she did, and we just thought, oh that's lovely, dear. Now, all of that was over 30 years ago, and God has been faithful to our family. And I ask you, where are you up to in your life today? Some of you I know well, and I know pretty well that you put me to shame. Where are you up to in your life? Maybe you know and follow Jesus, maybe you don't. Some might be here who are just mere babes in Christ. If so, search the scriptures. Read the word and seek God's wisdom. It doesn't matter how long you've been a Christian. If you're feeling lukewarm, read the scriptures. Some might have been in church most of their lives, but your faith might just have been lukewarm. Don't settle for the foolish life that we see in Proverbs 9. Seek the wisdom of the cross. Pray for teachable minds. Find someone to read the Bible with you and pray. Perhaps if you, you know, might just go back and do Christianity Explored. For those of us who, uh, who think, if only I was like one of those people who God used in Trevor and Carmen's life, in their children's lives, I often feel like that when I look at Mrs. Childs and Catherine and many others. You can be, actually. It's very, very easy for most of those people in our life. They did very little. Catherine and Mrs. Childs were an exception. I put them up on a pedestal, but they did very little. They sought to build friendships with strangers They prayed for us when they remembered. And one did pray for us for seven years. When I called that scripture teacher who babysat for our first child, who I hadn't seen for a number of years because she was in South Australia, I said to her, Mrs Child, I have something to tell you. She said, I know you've become a Christian. I paused and I I said, "How how did you know? She replied, I prayed for you morning and night for seven years and had sensed in the last two weeks that you were close to the kingdom. My last challenge to all of us is to be Catherine's, to be Bob's, the pastor I had, to be Alex's, to be Gail's, or be Mrs. Child's in someone's life. Stay in touch with neighbours, friends, relatives, and workmates. Build relationships and trust in God that through the power of his spirit, he might take other proud and self-sufficient people like I was, and challenge them in their pride and self-sufficiency and lead them to the foot of the cross. Let me pray for us. Thank you God for your kindness and mercy. What a patient God you are. Thank you for Jesus enduring the cross to pay the price for our sins, for my sins, for all who call upon the name of Jesus. Forgive us for the times when we fail to seek the lost and for our indifference would you use us as witnesses to others help us to build relationships with neighbors workmates extended family and even strangers help us to be people who pray for those who are perishing father might this church be a beacon that draws others to gather and learn from your word as we share in each other's lives and i pray this in jesus your sure name amen